Well, what are we supposed to do with this world? Uh, like, like doom scrolling on Twitter or whatever social media you're on is like, it seems more captivating than ever, right? Because this world is a bit of a train wreck. Like, start with our own country. On, on Parliament Hill, we've got a group of people who have felt like they have not been heard for a long time. And so they're trying to make their voices heard. And our prime minister, representing another large portion of our country, says, Be quiet, we don't want to hear you. And then you cue all the rhetoric and the name-calling and the division and the cliches where everyone's talking past each other. What it's all reflective of is a country that is divided. A country that misunderstands each other. Sometimes I almost think even deliberately. We're, we're a group of people as a nation who are hurt and hurting one another. This, uh, this is a hard place for us as a country. You get, you get beyond our country. Sometimes it's easy to get obsessed with the way things are in our country, and, and maybe we just focus on that. But you look beyond the country, and it's not like it gets much better. Like, Russia's doing some pretty crazy things, right? Like, there's some pretty st scary stuff happening in other parts of the world. And, and, they, and they get the endorsements of other countries, like, like China, who, by the way, just built a sun. Like, that's kind of crazy, Right? Like, we're, we're, like, there are big problems in the world. North Korea is, like, always practicing for nuclear war as if, like, okay, we're ready for this. Like, bring it. And many of you in this room have come from other countries. You were born in other countries, and you've come here, and you are familiar with the pain and the suffering, the hurt and the injustice, the, the turmoil and the politics of that country, and, and what the people are enduring there. You know the pain there, and you know that this world is broken. And you know it in ways that the people around you, even though you have so much in common, they still don't know it because they don't know your experience. They don't know what you've seen. You, you, you can keep going. The hurt, the pain, the division, the sorrow, the injustice in our world is great. <laughs> we're, we're a little church. What in the world are we supposed to do about all of this? Where do we start? We know that God created all things, that he reigns over all creation, that the, the world and all its fullness belong to him. Where do we start? How do we be agents of peace and reconciliation and redemption? Where do we begin? Well, we begin with a simple commandment that Jesus gave to the church. He said in Matthew chapter 28, to go therefore and make disciples. Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. We start, we start with the Great Commission. And we start by laboring to engage the Great Commission in the one institution in all the world that Jesus promised to build in a local church. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 16. I will build my church and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not prevail against it. If we want to make a difference, it's easy to get overwhelmed by the big picture and to miss the one simple command that Jesus has called us to just walk in obedience and just do. Because here's the thing. 
Our God has a plan, a roadmap. Not a roadmap to reopen a province that needs to keep getting revised and fixed and restarted all over again. He's got a roadmap to redeem his creation. And his plan won't fail. So if we trust him, we want to engage with all of our hearts in the one commandment that he's given to us, or in the one commission that he's given to us, and we want to do it in the spirit of the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And the best place to do that is the local church. The starting point for all of this is the local church. God's plan His roadmap to redeem his creation begins with local churches like this, loving one another and engaging in the Great Commission. I want to show you that specifically as we engage this mission, that's going to mean we need to plant more churches. That's, that's my goal this morning is to show you that from Scripture. This isn't, this isn't my plan. This isn't some strategic uh, thing that we've come up with. This is what we see. This is what we've inherited from our forefathers in the faith beginning in the book of Acts. So I'm going to show you this. First of all, this. The Great Commission work begins with local churches. Great Commission work begins with local churches. This is where we begin in Acts chapter 13 and verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch. Don't read that too fast. In the church at Antioch. In the local church in this city. So what happens in this one city? This is where it all starts. In the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul to name a few. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. God is calling them to work. That language is going to be, it's going to form a, that's the opening bracket, it's going to form a closing bracket at the end of Acts 14 as well. God has called them to work. Then what happens? How is the mission actually engaged? Look at verse 3. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Who's the they? Who, who was fasting and praying? Who laid their hands on them? Who sent them off? This is the work of a local church. This is not um, some secret global powers. It's not big pharma. It's not a well-funded think tank with old family money. It's not a movement of grassroots rebels. It's a local church. Not a group of spiritual elites with some marvelous strategy. It's a local church. And what are they doing? They're doing normal local church things. I, I, love, the, I love the insight that we get into the life of a local church here. Like, I don't, I don't know if your Bible has a little footnote. Um, so, so, so Simeon, who's called Niger, uh, there's a little footnote in my Bible that says it means dark. That's, that's true. It's, it's from Latin. So presumably he's from Africa. And then, and then what's really cool is the other Latin name, the other guy who's next to him, who's also from Africa, is called Lucius, whose name means light. So here's a guy named Dark, and here's a guy named Light, and they're together in a local church. Like, I just love the, it's like they have nicknames for each other or something. Like, it's great. It's just a normal local church filled with people who are doing local church things. They gathered, and what do they do when they gather? They gather together and they worship and they pray and they fast and they teach the word. And in the context of doing what every local church does, God works. I'm highlighting this 
Because all the spectacular, miraculous stuff that happens in this great gospel work going forward over these chapters begins with one local church just doing normal local church things. Which is to say to you that what you do Sunday by Sunday when you come and when you lift up the name of Jesus, when you pray and when you engage with other believers, when you go to your discipleship classes and you sit under the teaching of the word, when you engage with the preaching on Sunday, when you come to prayer meetings on Sunday nights or Sunday mornings before the service, and when you gather with believers to pray, this matters. This is the context from which all gospel mission springs. It starts with what you do in a local church. And I also say it to highlight expectations, to raise expectations. Guys, we're gathering tonight at 5 o'clock to pray. That's exactly what they were doing. And then God started a movement that planted dozens of churches all through multiple regions. Because the local church got together to pray. This is what our God can do when his local churches gather and engage in the work that God has called them to do. So what do they do? They gather, they pray, God gives them a command, send out Barnabas and Saul, set them apart for the work to which I've called them, and so they want to walk in obedience, so they commit it again to fasting and prayer, and then they send them out. Now now notice a couple things. Not everyone was sent, right? The Great Commission isn't fulfilled when everyone goes out from a local church, because then there's no more local church. It's a few people who were sent. It's not even necessarily everyone who was willing. The way I read the text, I think it's something like this. There are prophets and teachers who are listed here by name who could have gone, And as they're praying and fasting, God makes it clear which ones should go. It's not necessarily the case that everyone who has an impulse in their heart, hey, maybe I could go, or everyone who's qualified or willing should go, but the Lord makes it clear to the church who is called to this work, and then he sends them. This is is our heritage. For, for those of you who are new, who aren't familiar with the history of this church, this was precisely what happened when we were worshiping and serving at a church in Rexdale on the west side of the city. And the elders there, through prayer and fasting, determined that I should leave together with a core group of people from that church to come and to plant the church here. The context of praying and fasting It was committing to the grace of God and commending to the work. This is the tradition that that we have received. But notice notice what what they do. This this is remarkable. They send Barnabas and Saul. (laughs) Those aren't lightweights, right? Like sometimes, sometimes in, in church history, particularly in, in the West, I know this has been one of the things that I've seen sometimes, and this is not a knock on any one particular missionary, but sometimes I've, I've seen the church send people who, like, they wouldn't have lead them. Like, like someone wants to serve, and like, yeah, you can't serve here. Well, I want to go on missions. Okay, great, we'll throw you some money. This is not the pattern that we've received in the New Testament. The pattern that we've received is, hey, the people that are proven, the people that are useful, the people that are equipped and skilled and character qualified, the people that it's going to hurt to lose, those are the people that we're going to send for the good of the churches that will be planted. So the people that go, it's not everyone. They're selected, they're sent by God, and they're some of the best. They send some of the best with the best message, with the gospel, to go and engage the Great Commission work of planting churches. It begins with local churches. Here's the second thing this passage shows us. It begins with local churches, but it also, the Great Commission work begins local churches. 
Great Commission work begins with local churches and begins local churches. So when Paul circles back around, he's coming back to the church that sent him. In Acts chapter 14 and verse 21, it says this. When they had preached the gospel. Now, now notice, notice what, what's happening here. A number of things are going to be listed of what they're doing. I'm going to highlight them again for us in a minute. But I'm just trying to draw it out for you so you see it's in the text. We're not inventing this stuff. When they had preached, there is preaching. When they had preached the gospel, there is evangelism to that city and made many disciples. We're going to see discipleship as a function in these churches here. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. What were they doing? Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. That's discipleship. That's teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. This is what Jesus taught. And so they're building it into the life of the disciples. So they're doing preaching and evangelism and discipleship and what else? And they appointed for them elders in every church. Now there's churches. How did they do it? They did it with prayer and fasting. There's prayer and worship in the corporate gatherings. And they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And this isn't just cherry picking a few verses. I want to show you this pattern in this missionary work. Okay, so look back in chapter 13. And verse 14, here's, here's, if you remember when we talked about expositional preaching, here's an example of what we gave in the New Testament of this pattern on the Sabbath day, Acts 13, 14. On the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. And after reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement, any word of exhortation for the people, say it. So after the reading of the scripture, Paul, he, he stood up and he motioned with his hand and he said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. And he expounded to them the gospel from the word of God. So what did they do? They read the scriptures and they expounded them. They applied them to people. They're, they're doing expositional preaching. They're doing evangelism. Again, look at verse 46 of Acts 13. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. The courageous evangelism is present here, Acts 13, 46, they spoke out boldly saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, to, to the Jews, since you thrust it aside and judge yourself unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles, for so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, so that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. If this um, talk about Great Commission work and life in local churches and these types of things is new to you, if you're new to church, you need to understand that all of it springs out of this one fundamental reality that we call the gospel. And it's, it's the good news that informs and fills in and colors everything that we do as a church, everything that we do as Christians. It's the message, it's the message that we have a king who reigns on a throne in heaven, reigns over all creation. It's the proclamation that Jesus' kingdom has come, is coming, and will Come. Why is that good news? Why is it good news that Jesus is king? It's, it's, it's good news because of this. We, we fought for that throne. 
All the way back in the beginning, our very first father and mother, Adam and Eve, they wanted to declare what was good and evil. They wanted to declare what was right and wrong. And they set a pattern for us. They chose the fruit that God said don't eat, and they ate it, and they plunged our world into chaos and to injustice and to destruction and to death. And all of us, like sheep, have gone after them. We've followed their pattern. We've gone our own way. We've tried to be king or queen, ruler of our own life. We've set our own law, walked away in rebellion, And tried to make this world about us. I try to make this world about me. Pursue my pleasure. My way. I'll make my own decisions. I'll be independent. I'll be sovereign over my own affairs. Thank you very much. I'll try to pursue my vision of love. My vision of acceptance. My my own self-created identity. But in doing so, in turning away from God and from his law, from his righteousness, I invited his enmity against me. Because there can only be one on the throne. It's not going to be me that wins. But God, in his mercy, rather than simply wiping us out from the beginning with our first father and mother, rather than wiping me out in my earlier years, God, in his grace, he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to live the life that we should have lived, the life that continually from beginning to end said, your will be done, not mine. A life of perfect obedience and righteousness so that he could die in my place. Having fulfilled all the demands of the law, he could take the curse of the law, even death itself that was promised to Adam and Eve, that was my rightful inheritance, he took and he suffered and died in my place. Appeasing, taking the wrath of God, the curse that I deserve. And then, and then this, this king who reigns on this throne doesn't say, man, you killed me. Now I'm against you. I hate you. Look at what I suffered for you. In even greater love, he still holds out his hands with, 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 with the scars that will last for eternity. And he says, come, Come, this forgiveness for you. This is what my kingdom is like. There's forgiveness, there's acceptance, there's life, there's love, there's justice. This kingdom cannot be stopped. There is only one who can sit on the throne. He is on the throne. He will be on the throne. This is the message that we proclaim. King Jesus reigns in this kingdom is life. And you can come into this kingdom. If you just turn, stop fighting for the throne. Embrace his supremacy, his kingship. And come and find life under his gracious reign. If you put your trust in Jesus who died for you, Jesus who lived for you, Jesus who intercedes for you even now, there's life. This is what this local church proclaimed. It is evangelism. It's the message of the gospel, the good news, the King Jesus reigns going forward over all creation. They do preaching. They do evangelism. They do discipleship so that people aren't just converted, but they're devoted and they are maturing in the faith. So look again at verse 21 of Acts 14. When they had preached the gospel made many disciples. They didn't just say, okay, now you are a disciple. They invested in their ongoing devotion and maturity, their ongoing growth. They strengthened the souls of the disciples. They encouraged them to continue in the faith, and they tell them through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom. The fullness of the kingdom is coming for those who persevere, but we have to learn how to obey, how to walk this out in real life now, and that happens in the context of the local church as people know one another and love one another and speak truth to one another and do life together. This is the activity of the local church, and it begins with worship and prayer 
Remember in Acts 13, this is how it opened, and it ends with prayer and fasting at the end of Acts chapter 14. A local church that engages in the work of worshiping and praying, discipleship, evangelism, preaching. And do you know what the end result of all that is? There are more churches. Churches have been multiplied. Churches have been planted. Look at what he says in verse 23. He says they had appointed elders for them in every church. They went to places where there were no churches. Don't miss this. And now there are churches. And not just churches, but churches where elders have been appointed this, this, is, this is what it means to fulfill the gospel work, the great commission work to plant churches. This is what Paul said to Titus, right? If you look in Titus chapter 1, if, if you read through why Paul left Titus in Crete, he says, I left you in Crete that you would put what remained in order. Paul had started the work. He'd started to preach the gospel so that th- there were converts. There were people who were growing in discipleship, but the work wasn't finished. Something still remained which had to be put in order. What was it? He said, put what remains in order that you would appoint elders in every town. So the establishing of faithful local churches with a plurality of elders is the fulfilling of the Great Commission work that we've been given from Jesus. This is, this is how it's worded in verse 26. And from there they sailed to Antioch. This is where they began. They're coming full circle where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. Remember we said there was an opening bracket. Here's the closing bracket. They had been commended to the work. They had been called to the work. They had been sent out to the work. And now the work has been fulfilled. The fulfilling of the work is the planting of local churches. Um, what's that going to look like for us if we have workers who are sent out to have them return to us and say, let me tell you about local churches that have been planted all around the world. There, there are ways that we're partnering in that already through a partnership with the Great Commission Collective, sending money to local church plants all around the world, and we rejoice. Mamo and I just got back from some time in Mexico City where they were celebrating the fourth anniversary of a church that has been planted in that city that so desperately needs the gospel. We rejoice in the reality that we have had the privilege of sending out a worker to see the Great Commission work fulfilled in Mexico City. In Asia, we're investing in that. We have just last week sent off a worker to go and to disciple ladies to help strengthen and mature the saints for the building up of a local church. This is what we want to be about. Fulfilling the work of the Great Commission means that a local church begins with local churches who begin local churches. Well, we want to, want to do it more, but this, this begs the question, is this the only type of missions that we engage in? Is this the only type of missions that we support as a church? Well, the answer, of of course, is is no. There's all kinds of great gospel work going on all around the world. There are all kinds of ancillary things that need to be done so that the gospel work can go forward, so the gospel can be proclaimed. But what I'm saying is what hits the, the center of the bullseye, what checks all the boxes, which is why we're most excited about it, is the planting of churches. 
Because the planting of churches, it's like the cultivating of soil from which all the other good works and gospel growth is, is going to spring. It's going to grow up. It's going to bear fruit. It starts in local churches. And so if we plant local churches, it's not an end in and of itself. It's something that's going to keep growing and keep multiplying so that there are more gospel workers sent out to do more things. There are more disciples devoted and matured so that they can engage in more gospel good works in their context, more acts of justice and mercy in their context. But it starts with local churches. For us, to fulfill the Great Commission work, we need to invest as a local church in beginning local churches. But, but here's the third thing. The Great Commission work begins local churches that begin local churches. <laughs> so it begins with local churches who begin local churches who then begin local churches. <laughs> I know. Well, what I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to collectivize the spirit of the Apostle Paul. This was his heart in gospel mission, right? In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, he said this to Timothy about Timothy's job in proclaiming the gospel that he'd been entrusted with. So Paul to Timothy says, What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You catch how many generations that is? It's the Apostle Paul, that's one. Who's passed it on to Timothy, that's two. Who's supposed to pass it on to faithful men, that's three. Who then are going to entrust it to others as well, that's four. This is the mindset of the Apostle Paul. Four generations from now, who's preaching the gospel? If that's his missionary mindset for himself, certainly that's the mindset that the churches should be adopting as well. What are we doing, not just in this generation, but to invest in coming generations so that the gospel will continue to be proclaimed? I want to fast forward the story a little bit for us here in Acts. So we read in Acts chapter 13 and 14, Paul's first missionary journey. In Acts chapter 15, we read the Jerusalem Council. There's a little bit of theological debate about how we're going to do missions to the Gentiles and what that's going to look like. And so they sort that out, and the letter goes out to the churches. So that in Acts 16, Paul, together with Timothy and Silas, is like, okay, let's go. Let's get back out on the road, and let's engage in gospel mission again. And so they go back out. And do you know where they go? If you're reading in Acts 16, you'll see they go, they go to a town called Philippi. And in, and in Philippi, there's uh, a woman named Lydia who has some good money and a good heart. And she converts and she comes to faith in Jesus Christ. And, and, and Paul and, and Silas, they end up in, in jail. And so they're in jail. And what are they doing? They're singing. And when they're singing, uh, the Lord does this miraculous work. And the jailer, the guy who was actually watching them in jail, together with his whole household, end up believing the gospel. And, and so between this woman who was converted, by the way, through a prayer meeting, that's how they ended up at the river. So they, they were engaging in prayer, and then through this jailer who was converted while they were worshiping God in song. So see the local, the, the work of a local church, it just continues, and it's where God works, in prayer and in worship and song. God starts converting people who will become the beginning in Acts 16, and then again in Acts 20, they become the beginning of this church known as the Church of the Philippians. And you might know something about the Philippians because there's a letter that's written to them later on in Paul's life and ministry. I want to read to you about what this church became. It, it began with this plant, but then what did they do? This church that was planted through the work of the Apostle Paul, what did they then invest in? Philippians chapter 4, verse 15. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia... No church entered into partnership, entered into fellowship with me in giving and receiving, he's talking about money, except you only. 
Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Which, isn't that a great way to think about your offerings, your financial offerings for the cause of the gospel? It is a sacrifice, pleasing. It's pleasing to God. Pleasing God. Verse 19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So the Philippian church, like the church at Antioch, is now engaging in the work of planting churches through their support of the Apostle Paul. They have... All these things, all these churches have all the same things in common. The preaching, the prayer, the evangelism, the worship, the discipleship. All these things are happening in the local churches. And all of them are engaging in church planting. But notice the difference here. There's a difference in gifts and opportunities. So the the church at Antioch, do you remember what they had lots of? They had prophets and teachers. Like they could spare the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. Because they had a multitude of teachers, guys who were qualified and ready to go. Do, do you know what the Philippian church had to spare? They had money. And so they sent money. What each church had the opportunity and the privilege to do and to contribute was different. But as they worked together in cooperation, they were able to see churches planted. This is, uh, this is really exciting for us, right? We, we sent our, our sister away last week. Um, There's expertise that's required for that that we don't have, so we're able to partner with the missions agency to help smooth the details and make sure that we're caring well for her. We have a person, a human resource that we can send, but we need wisdom resources. This is what we did with Omar as well when we sent him to Mexico City. We sent him together with other churches in the Great Commission Collective who had more experience in the, in the technical details of sending a worker to go and to plant a church. And so our training together with some of their money and some of their training together enabled us to partner and to send. Each church plays different roles. This is our story as well. Again, in our history, when we were sent, we were sent from Rexdale and they sent us with people. And we thank the Lord for their generosity and their kindness. But then over the next couple years, something interesting happened. If you remember, those of you who were here, we ran into a, a, a crazy rent increase all of a sudden and some financial issues together when we were facing the, the rent in the schools. And it was partnership from other Great Commission Collective churches, specifically Hope Oakville, financially, who just of their own initiative came alongside and started sending us checks for thousands of dollars to meet our needs in the early stages of church planting. Praise God for the roles that different churches play, the different parts that they play. Paul was sent from Antioch, and later we see that he's sponsored by Philippi. They all play different roles. They all have different opportunities, but all of them are engaged in the work of the multiplication of churches. So what's our role? We're a local church that's been planted so if the work has been begun in us as a local church, what's our role? Our, lo- our role is to be a local church that plants local churches who plant local churches. That doesn't, doesn't just happen out of a void. <laughs> We're not God. We can't create ex nihilo. We, we, we have to start somewhere. Where do we start? Well, we start in a lot of what the staff has been investing in over the past little while. You'll notice 
Pastor Jason has doubled down on teaching and discipleship classes. We are engaging in the work of discipleship. He's training leaders and teachers who, so that we can multiply teaching and, Lord willing, be in a position to send workers. Femi with Jason have been working on training small group leaders to care well for one another, to equip the body to care and to counsel and to come alongside one another. We've got John working with our youth, laboring to preach the gospel to our kids so that the coming generation will treasure the same gospel that we've put our hope and trust in. We've got right now um, more people on staff in, in one way than we need. We're, we're kind of in an Acts 13 mode, right? We, we did that on purpose. We hired guys who are young in experience and young in, in, in age so that, Lord willing, as God puts it on our hearts, we'll be able to send. But we're also kind of in a Philippians 4 mode. Those of you who were at the members meeting last week, we rejoice in the reality that God has provided abundantly for all of our needs. We've got some money. So what's that going to look like for us? Well, what did the church do in Acts 13 when they needed to know what to do? They worship the Lord, and they prayed. That's exactly what we need to do, church. This is what we need to be about. The same thing that Jesus has put before us in every generation is the same thing he's putting before us now and asking if we want to be a church that's faithful in fulfilling the Great Commission work of planting churches, we need to be a church, first of all, that's faithful in our membership at discipling one another, training one another, equipping one another, sending one another, but it begins with prayer. If, if we are a healthy tree, we can have some branches lopped off and replanted. And both will flourish. If we're stoking the coals of the fire so that we're hot here, we can start throwing on some more logs and they're going to catch too. But our job is to stoke the fire. Our job is to nurse the tree to health so that we can multiply. In, in, the, in the scope of everything that's going on in the world, this, this kind of seems unimpressive, right? So wait a second. There are like legitimate big problems all over the world, and you're saying what we need to do is come to church on Sundays, come to prayer meeting, invest in each other's lives and love, love each other well, and, and then ask God to lead us as we invest in planting other local churches. That doesn't seem that impressive, but listen, that's the MO of the kingdom of Jesus. It's always unimpressive. It's, it's a farmer who scatters seed and then goes to sleep. It's, it's the tiniest of seeds. It is not impressive to look at, but when it's planted, it grows, right? It's that God does something amazing and the birds can come and nest in its branches. It's... It's, it's, it's unimpressive. It's, it's, it's like baking powder that gets thrown into the dough. And it disappears. It's invisible. You can't see it. You're not impressed with it, but it causes the whole thing to rise. It's the work that Jesus has called us to as members of this local church, believing that his roadmap to redeem creation will work. We engage in this work, hoping to plant churches that plant churches all by the grace and the power of God. May God make us faithful. Let's pray.